0: I'm sorry, i got so many things in my mind. Psalm 51. Uh, Before we jump into that, we delivered our uh, gifts to the Caldwell staff this week, which was really cool, uh, because Shelly and I got to go deliver those together. Um, We gave them some some journals that were very ladylike, some pens that matched, they looked really good when we gave them these gifts. And then the cards that you guys wrote to the staff saying thank you for what they do they were very appreciative and um, as is the case whether we're showing hospitality in our homes bringing gifts to the elementary school staff whatever it is when you engage people on this different level then it opens up a relationship on a different level and immediately we saw that with the staff that we were welcomed in that we actually got to spend time with them on a uh, a non-business type fashion and create friendships with them in that moment Um, so we're really excited about that really enjoyed that and look forward to continuing to bless them and serve them in the months to come so uh, we'll follow up on that second thing, remember we're going to have a kind of a big open house, try to accomplish that with this space once we get things organized in the next couple weeks still planning and brainstorming how we're going to be a blessing to the local businesses here before we do that Um, so I've got some ideas Uh, if you have any ideas feel free to connect with me later, just how we can have an initial touch and be a blessing to those people in this district and uh, serve them and begin to open up relationships that will um, continue to form in the months to come. So that's coming. Also, last announcement, I didn't plan on doing announcements, Bridgetown, we have been planning on doing an Easter service with our Bridgetown plant as well. Um, Before we got this space, we were planning on going to their space on Easter. Uh, Richard called me this week and said, hey, you guys have a better space than we do. We'll come to you on Easter. Uh, So on Easter, uh, Bridgetown Church will be coming to us, and we'll worship together with our Bridgetown family as well. Um, Very excited about that, and um, so kind of a collaborative Easter celebration with the guys we started with over a year ago. Okay, so... Very neat. And in case you don't know, we are investing in Bridgetown by investing in Richard and his family. Uh, every month we give a monthly financial support to those guys. Um, and I want to tell you, my church planting friends in the church planting world are so confused by what we've done. Um, that we sent those guys out six months in, and now we're financially invested in them. We didn't just get rid of them because it didn't work. We're, we sent them out because it made sense, and now we're invested in them financially. Blows their mind, so that's fun. Confuse people. That's really good. I enjoyed that. Um, so, give me a common denominator here. I got a couple things for you. Movies. Give me the common denominator. E. T. Scream. If at any point you know it, shout it out. E. T. Scream. The Wedding Singer. Drew Oh, you're so sure you're good. Did you know she was in the 80s? <laughs> Do
1: you know that? Yeah, she's a little I haven't seen ET since,
0: <laughs> since my memory kicked in. I have, not, I have not seen ET, I'm going to be honest with you. So that was a little bit of a learning experience for me this week. Drew Barrymore. Really, we did that trivia just because she said something that I wanted to reference and I had no idea how to get to this. <laughs> so, so for that reason, we did a little trivia. She says this. Drew Barrymore said this. She said, I never regret anything because every little detail of your life has made you into who you are in the end. I never regret anything because every little detail of your life is what made you into who you are in the end. Do I need to write that down? Let's say it one more time. Repetition, right? I never regret anything because every little detail of your life is what made you into who you are in the end. Now, when I read that, my reflection was this, that half of this quote is profoundly true. Incredibly true. Every detail of your life, every choice, every miss, every make, every everything is forming you and and making you in the end, right? Uh, But the other half of this quote, I, I believe, is profoundly scary. When we avoid our regrets, when we say, I'm not going to regret anything because it naturally flows into who I am, right? So, while second half is incredibly true, I think the first half is incredibly scary. But I think we all have a little E.T. Drew Barrymore inside of us. Has to be the E.T. version because if somebody's going to fit inside of me, it's got to be small. It's pretty individual. It's true, right? But I think we all have a little Drew Barrymore inside of us, because causing us to resist our regret, right? There's 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 something inside all of us that says I want to avoid, I want to resist any regret. So my question, first first discussion question to you is this: Why do you think we do this? Why do you think we resist facing regret in our life? don't want to face thinking about what you regret. Well, that's what I said. Now tell me why. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Why why do we not want to face it? And maybe why is a hard question. What are we afraid of that if we did face it?
1: Guilt. Conviction.
0: Okay. We want to stay in a comfortable place that we are already. It becomes uncomfortable when we have to face that guilt. I think conviction is a little different too, because it guilt is like ah, I feel bad about what I've done. Conviction is like I've done what I shouldn't have done, right? It's like facing the fact that I missed the mark. Guilt is kind of that emotional tension that results from missing that mark. Right? Comfort is where we'd like to live, and nobody wants to be uncomfortable. And when you face the fact that you're missing the mark, <sighs> it doesn't feel good. Anybody got, why do we, why do we resist? Pride. Pride. Y'all. Nobody likes to be wrong. Nobody likes to be wrong. Anybody on this side of the room? There's pressure on future decisions because you don't want to make the same mistake. Uh, yeah, so if I admit it now, then i got to live up to it later. And nobody wants to do that. Because now there's that, like you said, pressure. Right? Maybe going gets the room, but I feel like I'm pretty good at regret. I think we're going to address that this morning, too. No, no what do you mean by that? Uh, I mean, I, it's easy for
1: me to look back and say, I wish I'd done this different, or um, I should have done this, or, you know, that was lazy, um, and it's impacting my life now. <clears throat> did, I, did I made a bad choice in the
0: past? Okay. So, let's point this out because you, sir, led into my exact next point. You're welcome. Which is, thank you. I actually fed him that. (laughs) I said, at this time, I want you to say this. So there's two sides to this coin. Two sides to this coin of regret. Um, One of it is we resist it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to face it. We don't want what comes when we do those things. The other side is um, we carry it in a way that it still defines and makes us into who we are. right? Drew says, I don't regret anything because everything makes me into who I am. So at that point, we're just going to resist it all and let what happens happen, and I'm going to become who I'll become. But then what, what I believe Sam's leading me into is on the other side, we recognize the regret and then we carry it in a way... That carrying that load still defines and makes me into who I am. So either way, the resisting or the carrying of the regret becomes the defining mark of our future self. I think both of those are extremely unhealthy. I think both of them are. I think there's a better option, to be honest with you. And let's go back to our illustration that Micah said last week looked like a taco because she walked in after it was over. This comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul says there's an old glory that Moses received on tablets of stone. And then when we look at Jesus, the new glory that comes with Jesus is so much greater than the old glory that came with Moses. He said, But I want to actually recognize that what Moses received from God on Mount Sinai and the tablets, the commandments, he said it was glorious. We don't want to belittle that. We don't want to say that it wasn't anything cool because when Moses came down, his face was what? It was glowing. And if the glory of God that met Moses in the old times, in the old covenant, created that glow, then here we are in a new, better, far greater, surpassing glory that we receive in Jesus. It's more incredible than the old glory, right? And there were some key things that came with the old. The old glory that Moses received came with fear, came with death, uh, condemnation, uh, slavery. You're slave to our fear, slave to our sin, and it became it came with an obsession to temporary things. So the old glory, the old covenant was temporary. It wasn't meant to be eternal. It wasn't meant to carry on forever. It came to an end. It was temporary, and it creates an obsession with things that are temporary. The new glory comes with boldness, life, and this all comes out of 2 Corinthians 3, uh, undeserved, righteousness. Whoa, that was a big word. <laughs> Freedom. If we were slaves in the old, we're free in the new. And everlasting treasure. My dad was a pharmacist. That's why I write so bad. So um, so here we are moving from the old into the new. And the premise was that Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, Whenever a person turns to the Lord... When you turn to Jesus, the veil is removed. Remember when Moses received this, they said, Moses, covered it up. And he put a veil over so nobody had to face the glory of God. But when Jesus comes and you receive Jesus by faith through his death and resurrection, and you say, I believe that, I receive that, I want to walk with you, then the, Jesus comes to you and says, I want to remove your veil so that you can see me face to face. There's no need to cover this up. And when a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, and we all, with an unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, and it becomes a mirror. And when you stand face to face with Jesus, and you see His goodness, it reflects back on you as a mirror. And we said on day one, that it's not the things we see in God that we don't like, it's when we see God, it's the things we see in ourself that we don't like. All right? So we look at Him as in a mirror, and then... If we can continue to look at Him, we are being transformed one degree of glory to another from old to new. So when you meet Jesus, you're somewhere over here, fearful, facing death, condemnation, slavery. You're obsessed with things that don't matter. But then you come face to face with Jesus, and the longer you can stay face to face with Jesus the more we move the needle this way, one degree at a time, and we increase in boldness, we increase in abundant life, we increase in our right standing with God, we increase in freedom, and we increase in gaining eternal treasure that actually has value. So we say this, are you increasing in your freedom, or are you falling again into slavery, into rules, regulations, fear, guilt right so kind of lets us know which way how many degrees we're going one day one way or another so that's what our whole conversation is built on and here's what it is regret regret is looking into the glory of God as in a mirror and not liking what you see in yourself that's what regret is regret is when Jesus removes the veil and you say, oh, crap. You flinch. And everything you guys just said presses in on. You. That's regret. The guilt comes on. You lose your comfort. You feel a little conviction. Uh, you want to resist because of your pride. You want to justify yourself. Well, I really didn't mean to do it. Really, wasn't that big a deal. Really, You just need to understand why I did what You know, It's like the pressure. It's like, oh crap, now that Jesus sees this and I see this, now there's pressure to do better in the future. And all these things begin to well up inside of you. When you face Jesus, you have to face your regret. And that's what happens in regret. It becomes a mirror. Initially, it's shocking and painful. But, here's the deal. That's why Drew Barrymore says, I'm not going to face it at all. I'm just going to let the chips fall where they fall and it's going to make me in the end and it's going to be okay because in the end I'm going to say all those things that happened, instead of letting them become something up here, I just let them fall into place and I became who I became. Or we become who we become because we load ourselves down with guilt, conviction, and in doing so we think, ah, man, I've really done something. But no, that's the old That's the old glory that says if you carry your guilt, if you carry your conviction and you you load yourself down with it, then you're really spiritual. You're really good. That's the old glory. That's the old glory. But if you stand face to face with Jesus, you move towards the new glory. It's where these things are replaced with these things, right? But when you initially see the guilt, because you initially see Jesus, we got we to handle it. And if we can maintain our face-to-face posture with Jesus, then we're going to move from here, and we're going to move to there. Right? So you're not more spiritual because you carry more regret. You're not a stronger Christian because you recognize more bad things that you've done. Or because you put more pressure on yourself to do more good things, right? That that's that's not what Christ is doing in us. It's not what he wants to do to us. So look at Psalm 51. I think I think David has a really, really healthy view of this for us in Psalm 51, and we can pull a couple things out of this chapter that'll help us with our own regret to be a transforming in a good way. Psalm 51. We're going to read the whole thing and then we'll just come back and pick a couple parts of it. I was going to do this after I read it, but let's do it before. This is David right after he got busted. Okay? Anybody remember what David did? Like the tragic part of David's life where everything went south. Anybody remember? Remember? There you go. So he slept with somebody else's wife. Why did he do that? Anybody remember what scenario put him in the place to her He wasn't that war. It was the king who was supposed to take his troops to war and said, No, nah, I'm gonna take this season off. You guys go without me. So he's chilling on the roof, looks to the other roof. He wouldn't have seen it had he been, been faithful in what he was put there to do so he sees her bathing says i like her calls for her sleeps with another man's wife and what'd you say he commits murder as a cover-up to what he had done right anybody remember um who or how things came to the surface in david's life after this happened She was pregnant. Well, that that too. <laughs> yeah. So not only did he sleep with they got busted because she was with child. But then a, a friend of David's came to him. Nathan came to him and said, "David," and he told him this really creative story. And David's like, "That man should be taken out." He's like, "That's you, David. That, that's you." He's like, "Somebody should do something about a man that would do that." And he's like, "Mirror." that was you David you're the one that did that and he's like "Oh." and in that moment here we are with David's reflections when he comes face to face with his regret okay so this is David having done a series of things that were tragically wrong should have never happened a friend comes to him and says David here's what you've done he comes face to face with it now David is face to face with regret and we pick up in Psalm 51 this is what he writes in that moment Be gracious to me, God, according to your unfailing love, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So, you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. Sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. And then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation, and the tongue, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want to sacrifice or I give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You would not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings, and the bulls be offered. On your altar. Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. It's always before me. David had attempted both of our methods. Right? Right? Let's let's avoid it. Let's act like regret doesn't happen. But in that, he ended up carrying it, like what we were talking about with Sam earlier. He said, my my guilt it's always in front of me. My regret, I, I carry it around like a backpack. It's just a constant reminder. Everywhere I go, everything I do, it's just a constant reminder of the regret for the things I've done. I tried to avoid it. I tried to be like Drew Barrymore. I tried to act like it was just... It's, gonna, it's all going to wash out in the end. It's going to be good. Just let it happen. But then it's like, uh, just a backpack that weighs me down everywhere I go. And then Nathan confronts him. And here we have David in this moment of clarity. So let's see what we can learn from him. First thing he asks, or not the first thing, <clears throat> David says, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me is what David asks. What does renew mean? Let me ask this. What does renew assume? It was there before. It was there before. Already existed. I've seen it. I've felt it. I know what it's like. I want it back. Renew that within me. Renew a steadfast spirit. With it, David once had a steadfast spirit. Steadfast in this situation. Steadfast means stable and unwavering. I want it back, David said. I want to be stable again. I want to. I want to not be pushed around by this situation, like a wave that goes back and forth renew this. I know what it felt like before and I want it back. So, I'm going to tell all myself, in college, did you do, Jared, did you do online? Okay. Anybody else do online college in here? Except for me and Jared. Completed my degree in my underwear. On Fridays. Here's the deal with online school, online degrees, is uh, we had many... Not just open book tests, I have many open book classes. Okay, because I think when you sign up for online, they're like, we can't regulate this, so we're just going to make it the norm, right? You can't stop people from taking an open book test online, so you might as well just assume that the whole thing's online. So we had a whole lot of online open book classes that, that offer very little oversight, But I had this one specific class I can't even remember what the class was but it was when I was in my it was one of my actual classes this wasn't like biology stuff that I just had to have to get my degree this was like legit went with my degree part of my plan I had to have this class to graduate with my degree that I had and um, so most of my classes said this that, that when you take a test you can use your book this one didn't say anything it was just silent on the matter. Right? And I got in a bind on one of my tests. And I'm like... I don't know. I just don't know. I'm Since he was silent, I'm going to treat it like it's the rest of them. And I'm going to make this an open book class. And I did. I took the test as if he had approved it to be open book. Um... My conscience is strong. Uh, if I do something, I, I have to, I have to get rid of it. Right? I, I, it just—it's that way in every area of life for me. For it's a curse. But um, I went back and I, I began to assume that this was not an open book class <laughs> after I had treated it as such. So I went through the next week in complete torment at the fact that I had broken kind of the code for this class. And I had taken a test and I had assisted myself in that uh, by, by treating it like it was open book. I can remember, so I was a pastor at this point, um, and I had to preach a funeral that week. Like the day after I did this test, I had to stand up and preach a funeral. And I can remember sitting at the funeral, like up there by the choir loft, and, you know, where sitting there waiting on my turn somebody else is sharing the eulogy or whatever and I'm getting ready to share the message and the funeral and I'm just sitting there. I don't even know whose funeral this was anymore because I'm just sitting here thinking about this test. I am so guilt stricken over this test I don't even remember anything else. But I remember very clearly sitting on that platform mourning the fact that I cheated on this test. And it was tormenting me. It was awful. It was awful the way I felt about that. Um, I, w- I will say that I went back and emailed my professor. I couldn't live with that. I'd still be, it'd still be like David. And my, my guilt is always before me. I just carried it around like a backpack. So I emailed him and said, Hey, here's what I did. I assumed your stuff was open book. I realized it wasn't. Uh, do with me what you need to. I think he took some points away and said, Don't do it again. Or I'll fail you. Um, But at that point, whatever he did to me was far easier than whatever I was doing myself. Right? It was far no matter he could have done anything to me and it would have been a relief. Regret Regret becomes a lens for what how we view the world. I could use the word filter here, that we filter everything that we experience through our regret regret, and it changes it as it comes out. Or you can use the image of glasses and it becomes the lens through which we view our world. As we go through day to day, as we live with regret, and David said it's always before me, then what it is is it's a lens that changes how you see what you see all day long. Regret does that to you. It has power over you to do that. It changes the way you see the world that you're experiencing. So the question to you is, what does regret do to us when it becomes our lens? What does regret do to us when it becomes our lens for how we view the world? I'm gonna give you let me get you started. You can make us bitter. Isn't that weird that it's like it can make me bitter towards other people because I don't like what I see of myself. Right? But it makes me bitter sometimes. Regret becomes a lens and it creates bitterness towards the world. I see, what else does it do to us? You can isolate us? That was on my list. Good job. That's all right. <laughs> mm-hmm creates isolation sometimes which therefore translates into loneliness bitterness creates isolation making us lonely at times complacency makes us complacent oh I don't I don't know those of you that have not been with this before, my spelling is written. I do have a college degree, but it's not. In, it's not in English. Place, right. I don't have to know how to spell to know how to read the Bible. so uh, complacency. and I think that goes back to this pressure too. It's like instead of feeling and living up to the pressure, I'm just going to settle into complacency. I don't live up to that. It's just too hard. It becomes a lens that makes me complacent. What else? Somebody else? It takes away our purpose and our focus and our joy. Okay. Um, how do we say it takes away joy? It uh, moves joy, right? And that's what David said. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I used to be excited because of my presence in God, but now I just don't even care. All right? Joy. I'm going to say it makes me... Irrational. I am going to tell you that I will blow up on my wife when I am facing the mirror of regret. She doesn't have to do anything but just be in my way when I'm looking through the lens of regret. Instead of taking it out on the one that I see, I take it out on the one in front of me. Become irrational. Right? It's kind of like pregnancy, Mark. I didn't say. Your wife doesn't listen to the podcast, does she? No. She will this time. Irrational. Anybody else got anything? Makes me unstable. Right? Emotional. Fearful. We could go on for days, right? Regret has power over us. And when it becomes a lens to the world in which we see, then it changes how we respond to what we see. Because we see what we see differently because we see it through the lens of regret. Right? So there's got to be a better way. David, who was once unwavering, he says, Restore to me A steadfast spirit where I am unwavering. Now, here David is, wavering. He's going this way, he's going that way. He's going that way, and he's going this way. Because, as he goes through life, he goes through life like this. Under the weight of guilt, under facing the guilt face to face, now he's bitter, isolated himself, he's complacent, he's not going to war, he's not taking care of business He's um, lost his joy that he once had. He's irrational because now he's killing people's wives to cover up his stuff. And now he's blowing up on his friends and says, You just do something with that guy that you're talking about. I mean, it's just not just not stable anymore. This man who was chosen to be the king of Israel... Who was, who was chosen to be the head of everything going on because in his stability, in his leadership, and his capabilities through the lens of regret now, he is wavering, unstable back and forth. Completely wrecked his life. Um, this is life changing for David, but not for the better. So if he had taken on the Drew's mentality, not even going to deal with regret it will be what it will be and it will make me who I am in the end. You're right, it will. And it did. But not for the better. So if he had that mentality, it would have wrecked the rest of his life. Um, As the wavering spirit returns, here's what happens. As the wavering spirit happens, here we are right here going back and forth from old to new. With the wavering spirit comes the way of sacrifice. David said, if you wanted a sacrifice, Lord, I'd give it to you. If there was a way that I could take the blood of a ram for the guilt of a man, I would substitute the ram for my regret. That's what David said. And he like, if I could get rid of this by doing this, What a substitute. Let me get the weight of regret off of me. Let me move back into a stable, unwavering place just by offering a substitute for my regret. A ram for a man. The blood of the ram for my regret. What a great trade. right? But that was initiated by Moses in the Old Covenant because with the Old Covenant came the sacrificial system. But that was never intended to be a substitute for a broken heart. It was meant to be compatible with a broken heart. The sacrificial system was never a substitute for a broken spirit humble before God. It was always to be paired with a broken spirit humble before God. Never a substitute. But we still live by this mentality today. What are the rams that we bring to God... What are the substitutes that we offer for a broken spirit? I know God wants me to be humbled before Him, face to face, face my regret, let Him have my regret, let me go face to be transformed by His image, into His image, receive all these good things over here in the New Covenant. But you know what? Instead of being humbled before God in my regret... I'm gonna give a substitute. What are our substitutes? Busyness?
1: Staying distracted to not face reality of
0: it. I'm gonna go, let's step into that a little further and one of the examples of busyness is I'm gonna serve, serve, serve. Goodness. I'm gonna do good things. Instead of coming broken and and, and humble before God. My substitute, my sacrifice is my service. I'm gonna be busy about it. I'm gonna do more good things than anybody else. Now have you ever been humbled before the Lord? Let him change you? No. I'm gonna reject my I'm gonna reject my regret and I'm gonna substitute the broken spirit for, for my ram. I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve in the church. I'm going to serve in the community. I'm going to do a lot of good things. God's going to be really pleased with my sacrifice. What else? What's another ram that we bring? Penance from, from the Catholic Church. Okay. Same thing. I feel like that's three. Is that you know. Well, no, but I think that's. Say some Hail Marys in your death. It's our um, traditions. I'm going to uphold the the religious duties, right? Uh, Where's my list? Oh, service. Uh, Duties, traditions, whatever we want to call those. (laughs) Whether you're given penance in the Catholic Church or you're in First Baptist or wherever you're at, it's like, you know what? My ram, I'm going to be here every Sunday. I'm going to teach a class. I'm going to go to the priest. Now, I'm never going to humble myself. I'm never going to let my guard down in front of the presence of God that could actually transform me. But I'm going to substitute that by going to the priest and making confession. Call it good. And actually, that's veiled too, right? You can't see me, I can't see him. Still keep that covered up, so it's not actually very personal. Kind of veil that regret. I'm going to give more than anybody else gives. I'm the biggest giver in the church. Will I be humble? Nope. I'll give more than anybody else. Right? So we have rams that we bring as substitutes. Know this. Substitutes, sacrifice, support the wavering spirit. They always do. When you offer a substitute, it always supports a wavering spirit. It allows you to continue going back and forth being unstable. But a broken heart is the other side. A broken heart supports a willing spirit. It says, give me a willing spirit. Sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. And a broken heart always supports a willing spirit. The wavering spirit always takes you backwards. The willing spirit always takes you forwards. You want a willing spirit? It comes only by a broken heart. You want a wavering spirit? Continue to substitute. Continue to offer something other than your vulnerability, your humility, and let God actually deal with your regrets. You feel regret coming up? Cover it. Substitute. Do something else other than let God deal with it. Alright? right. You want to get out of that back and forth unstable situation where you're driven around seeing your life and the world through the lens of bitterness and through the lens of regret? but acting like there's a substitute other than a broken heart. The sacrifice that the Lord loves is a broken heart. Humble heart. He will not reject it. He'll never push it away. When you look at your regret, you're like, I don't want to deal with it, I will Because everybody else is going to push me away when they realize what I regret. That's the assumption right? It's like I'm not going to let Jared know what I regret because then Jared's only going to see that when he sees me. And then we translate that fear onto our heavenly Father and we say he's only going to see me when he sees he's only going to see that when he sees me. So let me substitute it. No, he says, our heavenly Father's not like that. It's not like that at all. We all want to grow. We all want to make progress on our spiritual journey, right? You realize that your regret has lied to you. You believe a couple things. You believe that your regret is weakness. I'm screw up. I'm weak. I can't ever get anything right. Or you think your regret is all anybody's going to see you for. In fact, here's what regret is. Here's your regret. It's the glory of God shining on your face, becoming a mirror in your life. And here's what regret is. It's Jesus saying, come to me as your groom, your husband, on your wedding day. He's removing the veil because He wants you to see Him face to face for who He is. He wants you to see His goodness towards you like never before. But the first time you see that, you see your regret. And you flinch. And you want to run. And you want to offer something else. When on your wedding day, before Jesus, He says, I just want a humble heart. And we've got to work through some of these things. If you want to see my goodness like you've never seen before, we have to work through your regrets. There is no substitute for a broken heart. So when you're face to face with your regret, and you think it's everything else, it's only one thing. It's the glory of God. Face to face with you. Saying, I want to reveal things to you. I'll show you how good I am. But it comes through this. It comes through this. If you see your regret when you see Him, you have to work through it. There is no substitute. If you want to see the goodness of God like you've never seen before, you want stability in your life, freedom in your life, joy in your life, you want to build up everlasting treasure, everything that comes in the new, you want to be bold, there is no substitute for letting Him work through your regret to prove His goodness to you. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Last illustration I got for you. Me and Micah. Well, this is question three on the daily journal that we have here. We've worked through questions one and two previously. What do you regret is question three that you have to answer every day as you read through these dangerous prayers in this book. That's why we're doing this today. So me and Micah have made a habit of doing this together. She wanted me to do it with her. Um, So we'll read it, read the the scripture and the commentary and then we go to the questions and she writes down her answers, says what are you learning? She hates that question because it's hard for her to answer. Um, What are you learning? What was question last week? Um, What am I thankful for? She writes that down, we talk about it. And question three, what do I regret? And we did this this week, and I noticed this. Here's what happened. She said, what am I thankful for? And she said, mommy, daddy, whatever it is. Thankful for all these things. And then she went and she said, what do I need to pray for today? Who do I need to pray for today? I'm like, baby, you missed one, didn't you? No. I didn't miss one. Yeah, you jump from question two to four. You, you skip question three. What do I regret? No, I didn't skip it. She wouldn't read it out loud because she didn't want to say it out loud, but she wrote something down, I noticed. You look at my 10-year-old daughter and you're like, there's something she doesn't understand about why we come face-to-face with our regrets. She still has the mentality that she wants to hide it, We don't want to face it. We don't want it revealed. We don't want to be humbled by it because we think it's a negative thing when it's really a positive thing when Christ renews you and changes you. So instead of talking about it, instead of letting us pray over her regrets, she wrote something down in quiet, closed the book, and we went to bed. Still something she doesn't quite understand. But I think... I think her mentality is probably a very common mentality that we bring into this room. And I think she's probably a good representation. So if that's true, I'm going to ask the question again. And we'll end with this. What did you regret? And for those of you that haven't been with us before, we don't ask hypothetical questions that you reflect on when you leave. We end with actual answers and plowing through the gospel. And what do you regret?
1: I got one that I guess, like since just even like seeing the post about what we're going to be talking about this week, it's been kind of stuck in my head. Uh, and also, high church family because, like, I really don't, I, I really don't, like I said, shared a lot of this with anybody, so, like, here we go. Um, so, being, like, the typical teenager that I was, like, being in a relationship and being in a very toxic relationship, uh, I had an opportunity, uh, we were at, we were at her house with her, with her parents, and, uh, her parents were in a very rough spot, and, uh, her dad asked me, because I, I was still, like, doing the whole church facade of, like, I'm going to show up and play worship music and do my whatever, and then I'm going to go live a whole separate life outside of that. and uh, But he knew I went to church and stuff, and so he asked me um, just my thoughts on who Jesus is and, and all of that. And I was in a very dark place, and I don't want to face that. Because I'm sitting here, like, in this relationship with, you know, right next to her. And that's going to change me. That changes everything. And I didn't answer that question. And I went to church the next day. And the only thing I, I mean, I gave a very dry answer. I really don't even remember what I said. But I avoided the question. And we talked about something else. And I don't know where he's at today or anything like that. But that was a direct opportunity that I think I've been uh, that's, that's stuck with me because I cared about my own sin and, and living in that and didn't want to face reality. And so it's kind of like what it could have been with his life you know, that even uh, you know God was still attempting like to use me in my brokenness and I rejected it then. And, and it's like how many opportunities has that have, have been similar to that? It's just. I don't know, it's kind of stuck with me, like
0: and that was years ago. So So I, that's a beautiful illustration for everything we've talked about for three weeks. Um, but here's the question is is what what is God so in in reflecting that back to you, like you said for years now, what do you think God's really wanting to show you other than your guilt? One that no matter what
1: um, I guess whatever my lifestyle is right now, I'm still broken. Like, even though I can say that I'm in a much better place now than I was, I could be in the best position in my life, and I'm still broken, and I'm still, I still fall short way beyond the glory of God. Uh, but I'm still, like God still desires to use us in our brokenness, and that doesn't change. Uh, and also, the fact of like being shy or being afraid to share the gift that, that Christ has given me. That's it's so hindering, and it it doesn't. It it, for me, like it carries far beyond that one moment. And so, like one, I know that Christ will give me opportunities to continue and do this, and that's good. That's that's hope. Um, but also know like the impact of like not sharing it. Like when you're faced with these opportunities, um, know that one like that like it's 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 weighty, I guess. Um, just know that what, like, if we're given this gift, this free gift of salvation like, it's not just something that we accept within ourselves, it's, it's something that we are called to, to give to those who need it and to share it and that it's much bigger than something that we pray in private or pray with a couple people and talk about and post about and all that stuff, it's so much bigger than that and uh, that was kind of revealed in
0: it, I think, just the responsibility. Number one, the weight of that man's salvation and his presence with God is not upon you because salvation belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to you. Uh, you calling him to trust in Jesus doesn't make that happen. But Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, calling him makes that happen. Uh, so, number one, I think you in that moment you revealed that that even on your best day, that weight still doesn't fall on you. But even on your worst day, God still has a plan to use you to declare how good he is, right? And that's an incredible thing. Even Paul, even David here in this psalm says, if you cleanse me in this moment, I'm going to teach other sinners to turn to you as well. He doesn't say, I'm going to do better next time. He's like, I'm going to tell how good you are. And what you've done in my life is going to overflow to cause others to go through the same process of dealing with their regret as well. And that's what you're doing right now. It's like, David didn't say, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to screw this up again. I'm not going to get in this situation. I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm just going to tell people if your grace will cause people to turn to you. That's all he said. And I, and I think you're learning the same lesson here. And even that's not dependent upon your goodness and your lack of regret. It's through your regret that that story unfolds about how good God is and how gracious He is. Rejoice in your afflictions. What do you regret? It's kind of like bedtime with Micah right now. What's causing you to isolate yourself? What's causing you to be a little unstable, a little more emotional than what you should be? What's causing you to be fearful or stealing your joy? You identify what's causing that, you'll identify your regrets. That's the fruit. There's absolute whatever's causing this, there's absolutely nothing you can do for or present to God to remove this, this wavering in your life, this back and forth, this instability. There's nothing you have, nothing you can give to substitute for a broken and humble heart before the Lord. He will not crush you. It's not the way He is. If you humble yourself in the presence of God and you let Him flesh these things out, He doesn't want to make you feel bad. He wants to heal you. That's the whole reason these things come to the surface. Number two, with God's people, when we ask that question, we don't want to make you feel that. We want to be a representation of our Heavenly Father in your life that leads you through your regret to greater freedom, greater joy, greater boldness. God has put us together and in this community to represent Him to lead people through this process. We are not a people who crush people who are already weighted by their regret. We are a people who lift that burden and remove it to give them greater freedom. We do not pile on. We take that away as our Heavenly Father does for us. Okay? So Zach, if there's ever a time where you and I are confronted with things, with regret, with decisions, it is not for the purpose of piling on in your life. Right? It's for the purpose of seeing you receive a willing spirit that always moves you forward and increases your boldness, abundant life. Should that ever happen with any of you, when that happens with us, it is always for that purpose. It is always for your good. Even though initially it feels uncomfortable. Okay? Okay? Anybody got a final word? Reflection?
1: I'll say something. So to <laughs> so me, you know, I don't maybe I'm a little bit more simple, but from the church standpoint, you know, I grew up in church and everything, so maybe this regret is there for a reason to show us our guilt you know maybe that's mm-hmm. that i guess that's my a question is is regret is the regret there for the guilt to get you to move towards mm-hmm. something to do but like um i guess to give you that that burden yeah. to bring you closer mm-hmm. and and to ask for forgiveness i think is what we're getting at is like this sacrifice broken heart we're we're there when we feel that burden we have to ask for forgiveness and to do that like you're saying you've got to come homely to him and ask for forgiveness Mm to to actually get where you need to be
0: Yeah, Uh, you're spot on different words (laughs) Um, and that's the deal God wants to forgive you restore you empower you not to crush you belittle you and pile on you, right?
1: I think that's another like if someone is, you know, I in my humanness in my flesh, if someone is mad at me that they're going to remove themselves from me, and I think that the the feeling of guilt, and inner regret, is God's presence in my life because, Paul says he gives us the desire and power to do what pleases him, and so I think even our we desire to please Him, which is why we even feel guilt and regret in the first place. And so that's that's His presence in our lives. So I think you know it's Satan, like the enemy, will tell us to pile on that shame and that God does not love me; He cannot love me. I am I'm am too big of a mess. But I think just us even feeling that is a example of the Lord in our lives. Yeah.
0: So Tommy, you guys are saying that our initial thought when we feel regret is that we are condemned, we need to feel bad, we need to feel remorse, or maybe it's God, con- maybe even it's God condemning me, when actually it's not God condemning you, it's God calling you. Okay, that, yeah, yeah. It is not God condemning you, it is God calling you. What are you going to do? Are you going to run and hide like He's trying to condemn you? Or are you going to run to Him like He's calling you? Last, last thing. God does not want to crush you with the weight of your sin. The scriptures say that He crushed His Son instead. The weight of your sin has already been placed upon the shoulders of His Son, and He crushed Him instead of crushing you. So when you feel regret, it is not Him condemning you, it is Him calling you, because the weight of what you regret has already been placed on somebody else. That's it. That's the Gospel. A willing spirit comes to a broken heart. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time we've had. I'm I, I...